is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Friday, December 16th, 2022, and today will be better than yesterday. I'm Buster Only, working from my home in Montana. Uh, Sarah Abbott is working from the hangar. Taylor Schwenk is working from the pulpit. How are you guys doing today? Doing very well on a gloomy day in Connecticut, but it's the weekend, holiday times. I'm having a Christmas party tomorrow. Life is good, Buster. So it's not a gloomy day here in Montana. The sky is beautiful. Uh, it's It feels like every day the sky is amazing. And I, I did look at the long range forecast. We're not uh, forecast to have a temperature above freezing. And we have only had two in the last month here in Bozeman. Uh, we have not, we're not scheduled to have a day above freezing up until Christmas. What do you guys think about that? It's supposed to be minus nine here on Wednesday. Oof. Yeah, listen yeah. to you, just the silence. Like, I love it. I think it's going to be fun, <laughs> except for when I let the dogs out in the morning and they look at me like, are you serious? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you bundle up when you take the dogs out, Buster? Or do you just uh, go for I've it? I've got one of those uh, under, you know, the the uh, like a long sleeve type shirt mm-hmm. underneath, and then I have a sweatshirt and that's it. Okay, okay. I didn't know if you'd grab the parka, throw the hat on. Okay, I like it. Just go. No, I, I, well, I do have a Vikings uh, cap, which my mm-hmm. partner, uh, Liz, she can't stand it. She hates the colors of it. You know, the gold and the purple. Like she doesn't care about the teams at all. Uh, I, but I, she, she just, she's been trying clandestinely to replace that hat. I think that hat will be lost at some point. Oh, how does Quinny like the cold? That's my main question. Uh, She loves it. In fact, her favorite game now, she, uh, she loves to, you guys have seen those uh, nature videos where the, She's 11 months old, and you guys have seen the nature videos where, like, the coyote or the fox pops along the snow trying to catch a mouse and sort of pogo sticks. <laughs> yes. That's what she does with the ball. She she <laughs> absolutely loves it, and when she di- goes for the ball, she goes shoulders deep in terms of where he put – and she comes up, and her whole face is covered in snow. She loves it. How ador- What an adorable image for our listeners here. <laughs> <laughs> she is, She's great. And, and, Sarah, you've seen Quinny – Many times on this podcast when we tape it on Zoom. She is the star of the show, for sure. (laughs) All right. So we uh, now have only one big-time free agent left on the board. It's pretty incredible. We've had off-seasons in which some of these uh, big-name signings have dragged on until February, March. Not this year. Like, we're down to Dansby Swanson. That's just about it. After Carlos Rodon yesterday agreed to a six-year $162 $162 million deal to go in New York. We're going to be talking about the signing coming up. We'll also be talking about the Giants signing of shortstop Carlos Correa. 13 years, $350 million. An interesting structure on this deal. We'll be talking about with Doug Glanville coming up. Uh, Noah Syndergaard uh, reached a one-year deal with the Los Angeles Dodgers. The Atlanta Braves acquired catcher Sean Murphy from the Athletics in a three-way deal. Uh, Catcher Christian Vasquez agreed to a three-year, $30 million deal with the Minnesota Twins in a a winter in which the Twins don't seem to be doing much at all. The Blue Jays uh, trying to compete with the Yankees, trying to uh, compete with the Tampa Bay Rays, the Baltimore Orioles. They signed Chris Bassett to a three-year, $63 million deal. Uh, He'll, of course, be in the uh, Blue Jays rotation Behind Alec Manoa, behind Kevin Gossman, and behind him in center field would be Kevin Kiermeyer, who agreed to a one-year deal with Toronto. The Red Sox introduced a bunch of signed players, including Kenley Jansen 
And Heim Bloom, the head of baseball operations in Boston, talked about the signing of Matasaka Yoshida. We've watched Masataka for a while. And the thing that really stood out from all angles was just the quality of the at-bat. Uh, there's a very unique combination of, of contact and, uh, skills and strike zone discipline and an ability to impact the baseball that we feel uh, has a chance uh, to really uh, Im- impact the game at the major league level. So I've talked to a lot of folks with other teams who also, uh, of course, looked at Yoshida uh, coming into this offseason. And I got to say, either those folks are going to be very, very wrong or the Red Sox are going to be very, very wrong for this investment of $106 million. Folks with other teams basically are saying, they can't see it. They don't understand what the Red Sox are thinking. If uh, he turns out to be a terrific player, the Red Sox are going to look really smart. Uh, The Mets signed uh, Kodai Senga. This deal was uh, finalized this week, five years, $75 million. Brandon Nemo, who agreed to that massive deal last year, uh, uh, about $22 million a, a year, talked about returning to the Mets on that eight-year contract. Just so thankful to be able to be coming back. Um, you know, I, I'm very, very thankful to the Coens, uh, to Alex and Steve, um, the front office, Billy, um, Sandy. Um, obviously, uh, most people know here that I was, I was drafted by Sandy, um, which is crazy to think about, 2011, uh, first, first one, and uh, Buck helping, helping bring me back. And... Um, you know, I think last season we we had a, a great season um, and didn't you know came, came up a little bit short of, of the ultimate goal, um, and I'm I'm here to to try and see that through. The Detroit Tigers signed a couple pitchers: Matt Boyd returning to Detroit, Michael Lorenzen, both those players on one-year deals, and Taylor. Your Orioles participating in this offseason. They signed second baseman Adam, Adam Frazier to a one-year contract. What did you think about that signing? It's fine. That's okay. Uh, you know, they did something. Uh, they brought a bat in. Whatever. Uh, you know, I had a friend text me yesterday after Carlos Rodon uh, was signed to the Yankees. Lift off my you-know-what, Buster. I would, it's a family program. I won't say it on here, but some frustration in Birdland. Yeah. Uh, and we're going to talk about uh, how we're seeing this great polarity in baseball, uh, the disparity between the big market teams or big spending teams, I should say, and the teams that have basically decided not to spend that much to this point, the Orioles are are in that category. Taylor, what else you got? Buster, we did a pair of uh, College Game Day podcasts this week that I thought both of them were particularly good. Uh, the passing of Mike Leach this week, uh, very sad in the college football community. And uh, Pete Thamel and David Pollock and Greg McElroy came together and did a great job of remembering and reflecting on his legacy. I thought it was great. And of course, there's all sorts of news going on. We're going to have bowl games this weekend. So Pete Thamel and Bill Connolly back in the pod yesterday uh, looking at those bowl games and cutting up the latest news. So check all that out. The ESPN College Game Day podcast. You can listen to that podcast. We're wherever you are listening to this podcast right now. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first ticket purchase with code baseball. That's code baseball. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. 
Dogs are an important part of our lives and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you gotta check out NextGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. Doug Glanville is a baseball analyst for ESPN and also on the Marquee Network. Doug, how you doing this winter? I'm doing great, Buster. Not as good as you in, in the Montana big sky country, but uh, I'll shovel my driveway nonetheless out here in, uh, in Connecticut. <laughs> yeah, you've told me about that. Now, I learned something about you this morning that I had not heard before, that your mom was a math teacher which, by the way, you know, uh, is a perfect, uh, I, I think, perfect preparation for what we're going to talk about today with all the money being thrown around baseball, the <laughs> right. contracts and numbers behind them. But I want to hear about that. Your mom, the math teacher. Tell me about uh, what uh, what she was like as a teacher. Yeah, well, my mom went to Hampton Institute, went ultimately Columbia for uh, teachers, get her teacher's degree. So she uh, ended up settling in Teaneck, New Jersey. So she taught for many years. And so I knew at some point it's like, I might be in the same school as her. So middle school that happened, we call it junior high and seventh through ninth grade. So she was there and my brother is older. She had, uh, but by state law, you couldn't have your mom as a teacher. So, uh, and I think that's still true. So I couldn't have my mom uh, and it happened to be a, the math level higher than her. So that was kind of fun at the same time. But a lot of my friends had her and my mom, her nickname was Trooper Glanville because she was the one who cleared all the hallways. Like, so where are you supposed to be, son? Where are you supposed to be? And she'd be on you. Like, so, I mean, it was like the parting of the sea, like they would disappear. So she was very good at like getting the respect and she was a great teacher. People loved her. Um, very effective, taught geometry honors, mostly geometry also. And uh, certainly helped me a lot, you know, after school. I got rides, uh, which was nice before and after school. That was a big advantage. And then I became part of the first ninth grade class to go to the high school. So high school was 10 through 12. And my class, I, you know, I was eighth grade, like, oh, I get to be the king of the castle in ninth grade. They're like, sorry, you're all going to the high school to be the first freshman class. So we were the first freshman class. And of course, my mom notifies me like, I'm coming with you. <laughs> so, so I had no reprieve. So I was in there and uh, had to kind of walk the straight and narrow, but um, it saved me a lot. First of all, I always had lunch money. I always had rides <laughs> and occasional bully tried to pick on me. Uh, they didn't do well. One guy, you know, tried to get my lunch money and I kind of played with him along. You know, I was like, all right, fine, you know, whatever. And he brought his muscle who was a family that played baseball. So I knew them. I knew he wouldn't do anything. And then the day came where he connected. This is Glanville. And then his face just washed over like, yes, that's the same family. <laughs> You've been picking on Mrs. Glanville's son all year long. And uh and I I was it was the best entertainment. He didn't have to pay me any money back. I was like completely I wish I had a like a I would have put it on Twitter if I had his face right now. So um yeah, she was great. And uh she's doing well, 85 in Chapel Hill and enjoying retirement. 
Yeah. So no, nobody's going to mess with the son of Trooper Glenville. Now, no. I, I promise you I'm going to ask you about baseball, but you said something that just absolutely my ear, that red flag popped up in my brain. Uh, your mom went to Hampton Institute. That is where uh, Catherine Johnson, who is one of the central figures and hidden figures, yes. the movie that just came out recently. Did she know her at all as someone who is into math? She certainly knew of her. I, I want to say she was older. Like, um, so I think they were time-wise didn't exactly line up, but of course the legacy was known long before. And it's like, I was later like, mom, you've been holding out. I didn't know this story, you know? So, uh, and my mom recently broke out some of her uh, pictures from being a Delta Sigma Theta, uh, just the, for the for sorority. She was the president. Uh, so she was pretty known there and um, still, still involved in uh, emeritus work, but a uh, lifelong academic and did, tremendous educational work had an afro-american educational center on saturdays uh to talk about uh, black history i mean she was just incredible and still is but uh her her retirement is she's enjoying well <laughs> that's awesome all right uh speaking of of numbers and dollar figures every time we see this rash of big uh contract signings in baseball you see the refrain on social media about baseball's in trouble how can it possibly withstand all this spending, and it always makes me laugh a little bit because you can actually find articles from like the 19th century, early 20th century, <laughs> where the same thing is said when players are getting paid. Um, look, and my response is always, these guys wouldn't be getting paid if the owners of the team didn't think they could afford the contracts. What's your reaction to some of the numbers we're seeing thrown around this winter? Yeah, look, I mean, it's still eye popping from the standpoint of like, as a player, knowing my generation, like average salary or the minimum when I came up was like 109 or something like that. So, and I don't feel that old, but that, that's just the difference. You know, now you're, you know, 700 plus, you know, I, I kind of thought the economic play would be pitchers wouldn't really keep getting that uh, increasing trajectory of money because starting pitchers don't carry the load anymore. They just don't. In fact, you know, we talked to some managers like, look, if you're, if your starting pitcher is in there to get a decision, he's in there too long. Right. So, so it's interesting to me that their workload is as, as the fewest amount of innings pitched ever from an, a starter yet their economics are still climbing maybe even at a faster rate. I, I don't know the exact numbers. So I find that interesting. I thought ownership would see the opportunity like, Hey, we're going to, you're now cheaper because we don't really need you to go nine innings anymore. Just give me five and I can get a lot of guys that can do that. So to me, that's the aspect that's interesting. Get 40 million and Verlander and these guys, especially the age is a big part of also something I'm thinking about. Like, wow, you know, to make 40, to be in their forties and all these guys, most of these guys are ending their contracts at 41 and they're going to get paid a whole lot of money. And it's so, you know, backloaded or whatever it is. I doubt there's an expectation they're going to be as productive then as now, but the first five years or whatever seemed to be worth it. Yeah, no, there's a lot of conversation after these deals happen that, wow, Carlos is gray has signed at what age 41, you know, Aaron judge is signed age 40. Uh, you know, uh, Trey Turner gets a contract where he's going to be 40 years old. And I, I, I whenever I see those uh, it always takes me back to when Bryce Harper signed his contract with the Phillies. I think he really was the first guy in this wave where the team said, look, we'll we'll give you your pile of money. We'll allow you to hit the benchmark. At that time, Harper was trying to go past, Scott Boris's agent was trying to go past Giancarlo Stanton, 325. And so Harper got 330 million. And what John Middleton, the Phillies owner, asked him in return was no opt-outs on the contract. And we're going to spread it out over 13 years to help us with the 
uh, luxury tax implications. That's what's happened time and again with contracts this winter. Uh, I don't think the Yankees necessarily believe that Aaron Judge is going to be a great player uh, when he's 40 years old, but I think they feel like, look, if he's productive early on, we'll live with it at 40. Uh, Xander Bogart's contract, 11 years with the Padres. I think this is them just trying to spread out the cost. The same thing with Carlos Correa, yes? Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think the Yankees always present an interesting market analysis, right? Because they they know there's a marketing component to it. There's an advertising component that is so astronomical um, comparatively. You know, you, you always talk about A-Rod, like what he got paid, but then what he was actually worth. So there's those type of equations that are very interesting and compelling, which is different than, I think that's what makes me always ask the questions of like judge versus like, someone who's signing in San Diego, right? Those are, you know, someone who's signing in smaller market, Minnesota. Um, uh, that That's what's interesting to me because it's not apples to apples in terms of the marketplace impact on how you can amplify those dollars in those marketplaces. Uh, but yet, you know, they're saying, okay, fine. We can't claw back the money, but we can get you to stay, right? We can try to get you to stay at least and, and commit. And I think there's, it's interesting because it's a modern, it's a modern version of things that sometimes the old school fans look, go back to and say, gosh, you know, I was a Gary Maddox fan, a Mike Schmidt fan, and they just Phillies to die. Like that was it. And there's something about fandom that, you know, allowed you to be invested in a player. Now that wasn't necessarily good for player freedom and mobility, but that was, that was a, a passion that a lot of players, uh, fans connected to. Now you have to buy it. You really just have to buy it. And, and usually you're only going to do that with high leverage guys that really are in the position to get bought that way. Uh, otherwise, you're just transient and, and you're going to just go wherever the money is or, you know, where the opportunity is. So uh, although Harper's moved and Bogarts has moved and Correa has moved, uh, now they're in positions where they're, they're not moving. <laughs> so. I want to ask you about specific fits in a moment, but I, I would say this, with all the money being thrown around, I've, I, I have felt this. Um, you know, that baseball, uh, while there's plenty of money for owners, there's plenty of money for the elite players in the sport, I wish the sport would do more seeding when it comes to building, uh, you know, good things and goodwill in baseball. For example, you know, we saw the other day, Sean Manaya got $25 million in a two-year contract. He's a middle-of-the-road pitcher, $25 million. What I've heard from teams that were involved in this decision to reduce the number of minor league teams, okay, they cut back 41 minor league teams, that the total savings, Doug, for annual on an annual basis for teams to reduce the minor leagues by 41 clubs was between $750,000 and a million and a half dollars. Mm. So for two Sean Manias or one Sean Manaya and Ross Stripling, that kind of money being spent, you could have saved all those minor league teams. Uh, you know, a, a couple of years ago, I worked on a story about uh, Major League Baseball. If it were to fund a scholarship level or scholarship at every Division One school, the total cost of that, right, would be about $18 million. Mm-hmm. And I wish baseball would dive into that and go to, and I don't know how they would do it in terms of working it out with the NCAA, but at a time when there's concern about baseball shrinking within the country, I wish baseball would seed uh, put more seed money out there, so to speak, when it's clear there's a lot of money out there within baseball for that to happen. 
Well, Buster, you, know, you and I just being in this industry know sometimes it's like the footprint. We always hear that term, right? You want to have a footprint. You know, you're yes. not, not sure what the economic value is, but the fact that you're in every small town in the United States and there's no sport like it that has like that kind of sort of presence and league structures, little league. And, and you know, I, I think that that matters, right? The, the, when you strip away 40 marketplaces, let's say, uh, you, you lose something and you may not be able to quantify it and try to establish that there are going to be, you know, lifelong fans, then you need that more of that presence, right? And and the relationship. So that that's the concern I have. Like, okay, you can go pay Manaya. And this is not unusual in a lot of marketplaces, right? Like you're going to cut, you're going to fire like the assistant secretary in the mailroom before you like cut a million dollars off of like, you know, a huge contract, right? That's, that's just the way a lot of these economics work in some of these places. And it does, it feels short-sighted in certain ways because of, like you said, who actually grows the game, right? You, it's a lot of people that didn't make it to the big leagues or, or weren't even on that track, but just love the game. And they, and because of that footprint, that presence, you built fans and they're the ones that actually lift up and uphold the game. Yeah. A couple of examples of what you're talking about when I was covering the Yankees and they were winning those titles in the late nineties, George Steinbrenner went on a rampage about the bottom line after the year was over and cut the dental plan uh, for some of his employees. And then we saw John Fisher, the owner of the, the athletics during the uh, uh, pandemic uh, work to reduce the minor leagues weekly salary. I believe the number was 400 to $300 a week. Like really? Yeah. For people well, who are worth that kind of money, anyway. Well, my uh, first what, paycheck was my first paycheck was three hundred and twenty-seven dollars after two weeks. <laughs> that was my paycheck. So wow, yeah, it uh, didn't get much better you, later. <laughs> what did you think of the signing of uh, Correa with the Giants? Yeah, I, I'm I'm fascinated by Carlos Correa because I think it's you know he he's it was at such an interesting crossroad, right? The scandal in Houston, trying to reset, and still coming out of this is one of the you know more well-rounded players in the game, fantastic defender, offensive upside, still young. And I figured he could probably pick his marketplace. And I think going to Minnesota set the tone like, all right, I'm just going to go where I get the best deal, you know, best deal and the longevity. And it's interesting because I know he made comments around like wanting to go to win, right? His concern about going to the Cubs or something like that. But, you know, the Giants were not very good last year. <laughs> no. I mean, they were not very good. I mean, yes, they were great the, two years ago, but you're kind of figure out, like, which Giants is it, right? And, and like, it's not, it's not like a sure bet, like, I'm going to the Yankees. Or I'm going to teams that are going to perennially contend. Uh, the Giants can be a little hit or miss. So I think that didn't necessarily align with me from, like, his feeling like I'm securing a winning situation. But, look, I get it for the contract status. He got an astronomical contract and – you know, there's no denying that he's one of the best shortstops in the game. Yeah, and he got the biggest contract ever for a shortstop. I agree with you. In the end, Carlos, as is his prerogative, he chose the money over a winning situation. I think for the Giants, it was a smart deal. They need a face of the franchise. Uh, and the big question going forward with Correa for me is, what is the actual condition of his lower back? Because you kept on hearing about that. And look, if you look at his history, the question is, how many games can he get on the field? When he's on the field, he's terrific. In the postseason, he's terrific. He's a great leader. He's going to embrace the idea of being a face of the franchise. But what's the condition of his lower back? Rodon with the Yankees. What do you think? Injury questions. You know, like, yeah. and and look, the, the Giants, to their credit, they really, they, they, they manage him so cautiously 
and and it worked you know now they ended up doing that for another team's benefit <laughs> so, so you know it's like okay well thank you the yankees are like thank you but it's clear that you know managing him he's got such great stuff he's so dominant but you you know you're going to be at 160 170 innings pitched and the yankees feel like look we have the money and the depth to kind of be able to to pull that off so i think they're just sort of like whatever, you know, we're, we'll, we'll deal with, you know, managing his innings. So, uh, you know, I think that's, that's really key um, to his ability to be on the field and the Yankees are counting on it. The last big name on the board is Dansby Swanson. And I think he's got three distinct choices, Doug, uh, from what I hear around the edge and who knows, maybe the twins, because they missed out on Rodon, you know, they missed out on Correa. Maybe they jump in the Red Sox have a needed shortstop, but I think it's going to come down to three teams, very different choices. One, he could go back to the Atlanta Braves. You know, they offered him $100 million. I don't know if they've goosed that a little bit, but I don't see Alex Anthopoulos, the head of baseball ops for the Braves, deviating much off that offer. He's going to be comfortable where he is with that offer. The second option, potentially the Dodgers. You know Andrew Freeman. I know Andrew Freeman. He's not paying sticker price for anything, right? Uh, he He's going to get – if Dansby Swanson lands with the Dodgers, it's going to be because he can get him on a deal – uh, California state taxes, maybe some deferred money. The Dodgers, they did that with the Betts deal. They did it with the Freeman deal. Maybe that's worth 110, 120. And I'm just guessing on these numbers. And then the third distinct choice, the Chicago Cubs, a team you know well. I would not be surprised if the offer from them is in the 140 range. Um, and if you're the Cubs, you're looking at Dansby Swanson as being someone who's going to facilitate, uh, you know, potentially uh, a rapid rise back to relevancy competitively because they're building a defense and they're building a pitching staff. Dansby Swanson would be really good there. First off from the, I want to hear your perspective from Dansby's, uh, you know, spot, which of those, uh, you know, spots would look attractive to you and two from the Cubs perspective, because that's my guess where he's going to land. What do you think about what Dansby would mean to them? I, I think that's a great fit, a great fit um, for a lot of reasons. And one, one of which is like, you know, I mean, he's a guy, well, I, I understand, I guess his wife plays soccer and, and so, yeah. but outside uh, in Chicago, but I just think that he, uh, you know, he, he kind of fits the Chicago mold. And then you have a Nico Horner is incredible talent. He plays second base. You have basically like gold up the middle. You have just good defenders right up the middle. Cody so I, I like center that. field. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and, I, and I think you, yeah, you could actually move people all around. I, I think there's two compelling things that one of which uh, you've reminded me of all the time with Swanson is if you're looking at a long-term contract, you're wondering when does this guy become a shortstop, right? A, a third baseman, right? Go to shortstop and then have to move to third. And do you have the bandwidth and the versatility? Like you look at the Dodgers, the, the young shortstop they have coming up, right? Is it Vargas or, um, yeah. you know, right. So you have Vargas, you have guys that, okay, if Swanson's slowing down, or you, you know, maybe you could you have options to move them around, Turner or whoever's a- aging out. I think the other thing is the shift is interesting to me because when you have a guy that may not be as rangy in a position, you could always add another guy to that side of the field. You don't have that anymore. So I think it's a different climate now of how you're even looking at these pure shortstops because you're not as, I don't think you have quite the versatility to be like, oh, I'll just move you to third or or cover less ground because you can't add somebody over onto your side anymore. You can't have a Nico Horner covering the right side of the field and be happy and then have three dudes on the other side or whatever, you know, so or something wild like that. So um, so I, I, I'm curious. So I do think the Cubs are a good fit. The Dodgers, because they have depth, He'd just be an extra, you know, an add-on piece. I don't think that's what Swanson wants to be. He's a game-time clutch performer 
leader, world champion, and the Cubs are he'd be a great rebuild piece for that. So uh, I'm, I'm very curious to where he goes. But um, you know, I remember uh, him telling me that I signed an autograph for him when he was like 10 in Atlanta. So I, I feel like I'm old, but I, I know that he, at least he's still playing. So I'm not that old. <laughs> yeah, I if uh, if he winds up signing with the Cubs, you'll be telling that story on air. I would All say that he's the type of personality. If you're the the Cubs and you're building from the ground up. Um, he's uh, the type of player that you're happy to build a culture around. So it'll, totally. uh, I, I do think that uh, we're not far from hearing what uh, what Dansby decides. All right, Doug, thanks for doing this. Have fun with your mom over, over Christmas. <laughs> All right, Buster. Thanks a lot, man. Take care. Jumping into the numbers. This is Himbo Knows on Baseball Tonight. Himbo correspondent Bikiti is a researcher for ESPN, a honcho on the show Get Up, and someone we love to turn to for baseball analysis. Today, the analysis, Hembo, starts with the Yankees signing of Carlos Rodon. What did you think? I think that if the season started today, Buster, I would pick the Yankees to win the American League. That's how good a day it is to be a Yankee fan. And look, it might feel like something of an overreaction given how badly Houston just beat down the Yankees in the ALCS. But I think the combination of the addition of Carlos Rodon and the subtraction of Justin Verlander really equals the playing field between these two teams. I'm not so sure that, I mean, unless we see some sort of drastic move from Houston's side at some point in the next couple of months, I'm not going to feel this way uh, once we you know, get to the season. They've had a lot of turnover in their front office as well. I think the Yankees are in a really, really good spot right now. And yesterday's decision, I think, is going to go down as one of the best ones that Brian Cashman has made. Yeah, they have elite depth throughout that rotation. I think you could make an argument that they have the, the best rotation in baseball if Rodon stays healthy. What do you think? I absolutely agree. And what Rodon also enables them to do is give Garrett Cole something of a safety net. I, I wouldn't describe Garrett Cole as a disappointment so far, but he definitely hasn't carried the rotation the way that you may have expected given his numbers coming out of Houston. Rodon is a 1B at worst. Carlos Rodon led the major leagues last year in strikeout, right? He led the major leagues in FIP. Over the last two years, StatCast says his four-seam fastball is the single best pitch in baseball. I think Brian Cashman hit a home run here, Buster. And look, I just want to say, I don't know the guy. I've never talked to him in my life. I grew up hating the Yankees, so I have no reason to carry his water. But if you're one of these Yankees fans that's been calling the radio uh, saying that you want this guy fired, with all due respect, you have no idea what you're talking about. Recuse yourself from the conversation. There are not five people walking the face of planet Earth right now better at building a baseball team than Brian Cashman is, and that has been the case for the last 25 years. You're lucky to have him. And the Yankees today are lucky to have Carlos Rodon. I always say that when I do radio and I get asked about Cashman status, uh, you know, well, okay, I, I, you know, I understand fans are frustrated if they don't win the World Series. Yankee fans are frustrated if they don't win the World Series. The reality is, is that if he were to be fired by the Yankees, if he were to be let go, and by the way, he just signed a, a new four-year contract. If he were to mm -hmm. be let go, he'd have a job and offers within 0.1 seconds. Yeah, there might be guys, they, um, who would fire mm -hmm. their current general manager to hire Brian. That's how well respected within the sport he is. This guy's a Hall of Fame executive, and and the Yankees' uh, failure to win a championship since 2009, Buster, is merely incidental. It is not a strategic blunder. They have not spent badly. They have not developed badly. Uh, just like you have to have good fortune to build a dynasty and win championships the way that they did in the 90s, they've they've had some bad luck in the last uh, handful of years, and obviously Houston cheated to win one of those championships. So these are just how these things go. I, I can say with some degree of confidence. 
that at some point the Yankees' luck is going to flip and they're going to win a championship or two over the next decade or so with Aaron Judge back in the mix. Yeah, think about this. What it's uh, I think th- this coming year or maybe this year was the 30th anniversary of the last year the Yankees had a losing record. You know, com- contrast that with what we've seen from the Red Sox, who won four World Series since 2004. They've had, I think I'm right here, Hambo, what, four last place finishes in the last decade? That's crazy. Yes. And two, uh, two in the last three years. Bloom has as many last place finishes in the, in the division as the Yankees do since 1913. Everyone extols <laughs> Andrew Friedman for being um, a real fact. Crazy, unbelievable statistic. Everyone likes to extol Andrew Friedman for being far and away the best executive in baseball. Where are all the championships that the Dodgers have won? In all, in all candor. And the Dodgers have just as much money to spend as the Yankees do. I'm not convinced that Brian Cashman doesn't get a raw deal from that fan base and across baseball. That guy is as good as his, at his job as anybody. And frankly, $27 million a year for a pitcher as good as Carlos Rodon is just good business. The Yankees are loaded, and they have as good a chance as anybody to win the American League pennant next season. All right, let's play your game, your suggestion, a big, bigger, biggest. Give me the big winner of the winter. The New York Mets so far, I like what they've done with their pitching staff. $87 million for Verlander, seventy-five for Kodai Senga, twenty-six for Jose Quintana. Those three contracts, Buster, add up to $188 million over nine contract years. That's $3 million more than the Rangers gave Jacob deGrom all by himself. It is my belief that the three pitchers that I just named will multiply the value that DeGrom will provide Texas over the next three years. Sure, the Mets are spending like crazy, but I actually don't think they're doing it recklessly. The way they've rebuilt this rotation on the fly, I think is something close to ingenious. Well done. Who is the bigger winter of this winter? This is going to sound counterintuitive, but I think the answer to that question is the Braves. I'm going to flip on myself here because the Mets over the next two years are going to pay Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander about $173 million, which is the exact same amount that the Braves will pay over that span. Olsen, Acuna, Iglesias, Riley, Albies, Harris, and Spencer Strider. Now, obviously, I understand the way that these things go. The Braves are doing it differently. They're not necessarily doing it more virtuous. But the Braves have laid the foundation for a potential dynasty this decade. When you have so much cost-controlled players in their primes, I really think that what Alex Anthopoulos has done, has he has absolutely hit it out of the park, and we see these exorbitant paychecks being thrown around. The Braves have done it more sustainably than any team in the sport. All these teams spending money like crazy, he's got his feet up on his desk and saying, well, look, I have done it not necessarily the right way, but the best way, and that team is better positioned than any moving forward because of it. Uh, just a side question for you. What do you think of the Sean Murphy trade for the Braves? He's one of the best, ten, uh, one of the 10 best catchers in baseball right now. He's uh, a young player who does everything that you'd want out of your catcher, a durable player who I think will fit in awfully nicely into that culture. That, that's how good the Braves are in, right now is that they could afford to trade William Contreras to improve their position there. Like that's how good they are. And Sean Murphy is, I think, kind of on the ascent – when you put him in a, a more hitter-friendly environment than he was uh, in Oakland and obviously energized him with the opportunity to be in a pennant race, I, I think that guy could be an all-star in the National League as early as next season. I like the move. I thought it was smart in part because I think there's a real chance Dansby Swanson moves on and mm-hmm. offense is going to diminish at shortstop. And so guess what? They, they propped it up at catcher DH between Darno and Sean Murphy, two of the best hitting catchers in baseball, who is the biggest winner of the winter. 
player agents and the MLBPA buster. Free agency is a destination again. It has not been for quite some time, but free agency is a destination again. There have already been eight nine-figure deals given out in free agency this offseason. That is most ever through the month of December. These things usually happen later on. Teams are eager to spend. We blew past $3 billion in free agent spending yesterday. What I see is something of a power shift back into the hands of players and agents, and I view that as a fundamentally good thing for baseball. And you and I have talked so much in recent years about the middle class, how the middle class of players has taken a hit. When you see a Sean Mania, you know, get a two-year, $25 million deal, Ross Stripling, two-year, $25 million deal, that makes me happy. It feels like yes. I haven't dug mm-hmm. into the numbers. I haven't asked you to dig into the numbers uh, about the middle class, but it does feel like those guys have gotten a bump as well. You know, da- up from the four, you know, one year, four million, five million type deal to the two year, twenty million type deal, and and that's a that's a good thing, a good thing for that group of players. Who's the big loser of the winter? Nolan Arenado is a big loser here, Buster. He he opted into his five year, one hundred and forty four million dollar uh, trigger, and I view that as a huge mistake. Now there may have been some kind of prearrangement when he was traded from Colorado to St. Louis, but there was nothing legally binding, best I can tell, that he did so. I think he cost himself a hundred million dollars by opting back into that contract, and I think you'll see next year when Manny Machado opts out of his, he's going to get a deal that probably approaches three hundred million dollars. Nolan Arenado finished uh, third in the MVP voting this year. He's still 31 years old. Uh, I, I think that guy could have gotten $250-plus million on the open, open market. Once I saw these uh, numbers being thrown around, I wouldn't be surprised if an honest moment he told you, yeah, I'm not so sure I didn't mess up there. Uh, I think he made a mistake by opting back into that deal. Yeah, I don't know if he would have gotten $250 million, but I think he could have gotten more. And the contract that convinces me of that is the Bogarts deal, you know, 280 million. Not that every other mm. player was going to benefit from a team. And I think the general perception is, is that, uh, that the Padres, uh, you know, paid overpaid to get Bogarts. Um, I don't know if, if, if Nolan would have gotten 250, but I think he would have gotten more to your point than 144. He's 31 years old. Okay. Who is a bigger loser? Oh, the bottom of the American league East, namely the Red Sox and their fans. I think exposing Xander Bogarts to free agency is going to go down as one of the all-time worst blunders in a history of a franchise that has some of baseball's all-time worst blunders. You can go back 100 years and obviously find those. And the Baltimore Orioles just made a 31-win jump year over year. And to date, with all they've done adding Kyle Gibson and Adam Frazier, they have failed to tell their fans that we believe that was legitimate. Um, To me, this is an opportunity for Baltimore to send a message to their own players and to the fan base that they're interested in competing in this uh, ecosystem. But given how good Toronto and New York and Tampa is in that division already, and given how much money they actually have to spend, I mean, right now their projected payroll for next year is something like $60 million. Buster, their, their payroll in all candor should be something like twice that. Who are we kidding? $60 million in this climate would be embarrassing should they wind up there on opening day. I think that Red Sox and the Orioles, sort of in their own rights, in two different ways, have sort of bleeped the bed so far, in my judgment. Well, I tell you what, they're banking big on a major uh, change in terms of performance from the team based on what they've done with their bullpen. They've upgraded their bullpen. It's the one part of the team that they've really focused on. And, and maybe internally they feel like, boy, if we – you know, uh, develop a you know group of relievers who are shut down. Maybe we can improve our team by eight or ten wins. If that doesn't happen, 
that Kenley Jansen signing almost seems funny. Like it seems weird, right? I mean, Very. if the team isn't that good, spending $16 million a year on a closer doesn't make any sense. Here's what I would say. Um, and Heimblum should be smart enough to know this. You improve your team in the margins doing what the Red Sox have done. You don't improve your team in leaps and bounds by doing that. You, you, attack, the, you attack the bullpen at the end. Not as the foundation of, of what you're improving when you have to score way more runs and your starters need to allow way fewer runs. I, I, I'm, I remain flummoxed by practically everything the Red Sox have done. The Kenley Jansen signing, like even if he winds up shoving for them uh, and he winds up saving 40 games for them, I, I'm not sure they're going to end up even winning 70. So I'm, I'm not convinced that, that there's, there's much of a point in doing that unless there's a whole lot coming afterwards. And I'd say this. I said at the top of the show that the, the signing of Yoshida – uh, after talking with evaluators of the other team, the Red Sox are either going to look like the biggest geniuses or they're going to look like complete knuckleheads because folks with other teams are going, what are they doing? Like I, I heard from other clubs that their, you know, recommendation, a recommendation of the front office for investment was something in the range of 25 or $30 million. The Red Sox spent $106 million. And I would say this too, another player that I heard that about was Jose Abreu. Like folks mm. with other teams when the White Sox gave him, I think it was $61 million, they were shocked. Like, Abreu can't hit a fastball, he's got a slow bat, and guess what? That turned out well. And the Red Sox have to hope that they have get their version of Jose Abreu. Okay, who's the biggest loser of the winter? Owners who cry poor, Buster, and there are a lot of them. There are way too many of them. I know everyone, not everyone operates in the same financial ecosystem. But Major League Baseball just sold BAMTech to us for $900 million. I just don't have the patience anymore to hear owners tell us how much money that they don't have when uh, hardworking Americans are paying money to go watch your games or paying for cable packages and enjoying baseball all summer long. Uh, There needs to be a meet-me-in-the-middle aspect of this. And baseball is very clearly, based upon the spending of teams that are interested in uh, competing at all this offseason – uh, is enjoying something of a renaissance, uh, post-pandemic financial boom, uh, you might say. And I'm not suggesting everyone needs to be in on it. But what I am saying is, if you're going to cry wolf now and tell us we, that you don't have any money, we're going to call you on it because it's simply not true. And I, I don't want to have, I don't want to hear any owner tell us how how biblical your losses are. It's clear. Uh, Major League Baseball has caught up uh, since 2020, and it's about time to start spending money again. Yeah, one of those examples I mentioned is the Doug Glanville. You know, two winters ago, uh, MLB cut 41 minor league teams. And I was told by various club executives, uh, you know, estimates on the amount of savings per team was about 750 to 1.5 million. So total savings, about $50 million a year. You compare that to you know, what the amount of money that's being thrown around right now, they could have easily kept those other 41 teams. They could have easily <laughs> continued – to have this, uh, you know, opportunity for for people to not only go watch games, but to you know develop as players within the game, it it makes me scratch my head, and it reinforces the idea for me that there isn't really a lot of big picture thinking going on under the Major League Baseball umbrella. Give me an under the radar move that you love before you go. Uh, Josh Bell signed a two-year, $33 million deal with Cleveland. I love that deal for the Guardians. Um, Josh Bell feels like he's been around forever since he was such a highly touted prospect, but he's only 30. And over the last two years, has an OPS plus of 126, the exact same figure as Giancarlo Stanton, one percentage point better than Alex Bregman. He can really, really hit Buster for his career. For every 162 games he 
uh, plays. He averages 30 doubles, 25 homers, and 258 total bases. This is a switch hitter that can hit with his eyes closed. And, and, and Terry Francona, now for 10 years with Cleveland, has demonstrated with his lineups. He loves the platoon advantage. You bring in another switch hitter. He, you know, he, he went to the Casey Stengel School of Lineup Creation. Josh Bell is going to slide in really nicely with a team that I think, at least on paper, is going to run it back and win that division again. And we're about to talk to Terry Francona. He's the next guest. Hembo, thanks for doing this. Later, friends. Get out of here, Hembo. Sick of Hembo. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call Click Granger.com or just stop by. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terry Francona is the manager of the Cleveland Guardians, and he's got 22 seasons in a role as manager, 1,874 wins. Uh, In the next year, Tito, you may well, assuming that the Guardians win 32 or more games in the upcoming year, you'll pass Bill McKechnie, Gene Mock, and Casey Stengel. Okay, and the all-time wins list, you could be 13th at that point. Uh, Will you keep any mementos from going up that, that, that ladder? Buster, you know what I take out of just what you just said? Yeah. We better win more than 32 games. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably what I take out of that comment. Now, you know what, Buster? I mean, I, 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 I preach to our guys about staying in the moment, and it's probably because that's how I feel. I mean, yeah. I, I, love, I love the journey of, of, you know, not knowing where we're going to end up. But but trying to do it together, so so no, I don't get very, I don't get very involved in things like that. First of all, I think it I think it sends the wrong message. I don't think when you're a manager, I don't think it can ever be about you. It's got to be about the team and the organization. And shoot, man, I, I've felt like that since Double A in Birmingham, and I always figured if I put the players and the organization first, my situation would take care of itself. And like you just said, it's like 22, 23 years later, and I'm still doing it. So I think there's something to be said for that. Will you at some point, do you think, uh, you know, sort of allow yourself for, for that some of that to, to sink in? Especially, you know, the 10 of the 12 managers that would be ahead of you at that point are in the Hall of Fame, and the only two aren't. And I think you'll agree with me on this. Will someday make a speech in Cooperstown, Dusty Baker and Bruce Bochy. Well, I agree with that point there. I think both of them are Hall of Famers, and it's easier for me to talk about other people um, than myself. You know, Buster, I think I probably told you this. The one thing I'll brag about is I think I've set the record for being around good people. 
and, and, and I don't think anybody's going to ever touch that record. I've been so fortunate. Um, you know, I don't need to delude myself that, you know, I mean, I'm a baseball lifer. It's all I've ever done. It's all I ever know. And I know some people probably think, well, I doesn't even know that, but I can't do anything other than baseball. And I never wanted to. And I, I'm 63 years old and still don't. So that's, I'm fortunate in that aspect that I show up at work. I love who I'm working with and I love what I do. That's what, you know, Tim Kirkchen, who, uh, you know, you know, well, uh, when we have conversations about you and, you know, the question is, is Tito going to stay as manager? What we always go back to Tito is that you freaking love your job. Like you love being around the game. You love, you know, showing up at the park every day and you've been around people who over time that erodes. You know what, but you you make a good point because uh, I'm, you know, with my health, the way it was the last couple of years, it starts to, you know, you start to think a little bit like, okay, can I do this job correctly? Do I even want to do it? You know, am, am I, am I, am I shorting the organization? Things like that. But, but then when I feel healthy enough, I start to think, man, you know what I'm going to miss someday? I love, I'm not going to miss the travel. I'm not going to miss the hotels. But God, I love coming to the ballpark and talking to the coaches, the players, you know, hanging out. I, I love the people in the game. When you've been in the game as long as I have, like when you just said, like when Tim Kirchner shows up or or you or Dan Schulman or guys on other teams, it's I love that part of it. I love the people in the game. Yeah. And you can see it and feel it every time you're you're in the Cleveland clubhouse, you know, the the back and forth and you'll relate conversations, you'll have different players. I mean, for years, I don't know if you still do this. You have someone on the team you play cribbage against. Um, you know, that that's as much a part of you as manager is what we see in the dugout on a daily basis. Brian Shaw was that guy last year, but he's a free agent now. So we're gonna have to find somebody because I, I love playing cribbage and 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 I love not just playing cribbage, but I love when like five or six guys are in there watching. And then I know that we got something good going. And, you know, it, it's where guys are yelling or, you know, talking a little talking a little smack. And and that's when I feel like, okay, we're we're in the right direction. Who could be some candidates? And I, I don't I don't know if Josh Bell plays cribbage. I don't know if he's ever played cribbage, but that guy, he's got it together. Wouldn't shock me if he might turn out to be a candidate for that. Well, you know, he might fit in with a few of these other guys like Quan and Tristan McKenzie. I think it was Hedgie. They, they were playing chess, which if you've spent 10 seconds with me, you know I can't play chess. Um, I can barely <laughs> play checkers. So I think some of our guys might be a little past cribbage. They're, they're intelligent and they, they're thoughtful and they sit there and play. And I laugh because I don't begin to understand it, but I love watching them. All right. Uh, last week we had the winter meetings. What was your takeaway and some of the rule change conversations that uh, I'm sure you had there? We had a meeting uh, with the league, uh, the manager's meeting, and it was about a two-hour meeting about the rule changes. And I looked around the room because I know I'm one of the older guys now, and I felt like my head was spinning a little bit. And I was glad to see that some other people felt that way. Um, when I went back up to our suite, I was talking to some of the people in player development and they were saying, Hey, we felt the same way about a week after you kind of regurgitate it and it'll, it'll slow down. So what I did was I, I called our AAA manager, Andy Tracy. Um, we got the guys from the league to, we actually did a two hour zoom call yesterday with our major league staff so they could start to understand some of it. 
because I didn't feel like after listening to it once, I was in a position to, to, to explain it to our players properly. So we did it as a staff and we'll continue to do that because, and it's not to find a way to skirt the rules. It's, it's a way to maybe get the players to understand the rules so nothing gets in the way of playing our the game the way we want to. Now, I had a conversation uh, when when the rule changes were announced during the regular season, had a conversation with a player, you, uh, former player you managed, Gabe Kapler. He said, look, you're going to have to live these rules for a time before you really understand the impact. But what was the sort of the first instinct that you had when you when you were listening to this presentation last week about which of these rule changes are going to have the biggest impact? You know, for me, Buster, I think it was, you know, because I've been doing this so long, you get comfortable, you know, doing it a certain way. And it just kind of, you know, your internal clock is 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 natural. Well, for a while, that's not going to be the case, you know, with the pitch clock. And I love the idea of the pitch clock. But there's so many variables that come into play when the clock starts, when it doesn't, when you can call timeout, when you can ask for a baseball, you know, how many times you can throw over to first. Those are all things that are unnatural. So we're going to have to work at it quickly because the last thing you want to do during a game is have like your internal clock. You're thinking about six other things other than baseball. Yeah, and as you were saying that, I, I was thinking to myself, that's right. The manager's internal clock has to speed up as well. So – you know, all those conversations about are you going to bond, are you going to hit and run, are you going to steal, th- those things, that all has to get sped up as the pitchers are working more quickly. Even like, you know, when you put your first and third defenses in and you're asking your catcher or whoever to relay the signs, you don't want to get your team in a position where you've taken 10 seconds and now the pitcher has to hurry. So we're, we'll, as a staff, we'll get together and we'll try to, because again, we what we want to do is allow our players to play the game. And we don't want to get in the way and we don't want to make it harder, but you don't want to sacrifice something either. So we'll get together and, and put our heads together. And, and, and again, the goal isn't to skirt the rules, is to not have them get in the way of us playing good baseball. You were a left-handed hitter in your playing days, uh, so you probably could feel the pain of left-handed hitters through the years uh, as uh, shifts became more uh, popular around baseball. How much of an impact do you think it's going to have for left-handed hitters in 2023? I I think early on, Buster, I think you're going to see a lot of batting averages go up early because, you know, again, you're taking away – mostly like that that line drive to short right field that that was the ball that was getting caught i think that was probably aggravating people and i and i understand that my worry is the unintended consequences you know because i i was of the 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 opinion that okay if you're going to shift if you want to beat if you don't want him to shift hit the ball to left field then that'll you know guys like Stephen Kwan Michael Branley that's why they hit 300 um I'm afraid guys are going to now be in just dead set pull mode because you can't get that guy out into the short right, and you're going to see more strikeouts, which I really hope that's not what happens, but sometimes the unintended consequences creep in there, and we don't know what they are yet. I was just going to ask you, do you have a sense of what some of those other ones might be, unintended consequences? Well, the biggest one, I think, is is – right there is I, I hope it doesn't have guys selling out for for just to pull the ball because that's going to lead to strikeouts um I'm, I'm glad you know again we always look at the rules and you look at your own team and i think we're situated to be okay 
One is with the new rules, we're so young that a lot of our guys have come through the minor leagues with at least some of these rules. And the other one is they're not so set in their ways, whether, you know, a 15 year veteran where it's going to take real long to adjust. So I think that helps us. And then the second thing is I think defensively you're going to need to be athletic. And, and, and I think we have the best, I think we probably have the best second baseman in the game defensively. Shoot, maybe offensively too. Um, I mean, Andre Simenez, he, he he's going to help us a bunch because he can go both ways and make plays that's going to save a ton of hits. Will these new rules about throws over to first base make you as a manager take a, a fresh look at the stolen base as a potential weapon? Uh, yeah, very much so. Um, and and the one thing you're going to you know need to do is if if it's first and third. You know you're going to have to 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 keep a throw over or a step off in your back pocket, so you don't put your pitcher in a in a really unfair position where, you know, if a guy at third fake breaks and he steps off, well, all of a sudden it's a balk. So wow. there's going to be some different strategy. It's going to be real important that your catcher can throw, and more important than ever that your pitchers aren't terribly slow to the plate because you know you're going to see a lot less throwovers but if pitchers can be quicker to the plate that's one way at least at least the guys that aren't supposed to run won't run that's probably the biggest goal of this for us is just keep the guys that aren't supposed to run from running you know will you be tempted to bring in one of the outfielders into that spot that we've seen uh you know an infielder stand you mentioned short right field uh, will you, uh, is that be something that uh, would be on your radar? We were talking about that yesterday after the call. Um, you know, those are things that, that I haven't delved into enough yet. I wouldn't say no. Um, you know, if there's a situation in a game where, where a, a single could beat you, you know, the, the, I wouldn't say no to anything. But I don't want to guess either. So if, if you see us do something, you can pretty much be assured we've thought it through and we really think it's going to get a, be a help. The last thing I want is a pitcher looking in after a play and be like, what, what are we doing? So if we're going to do it, our, our players are going to be on board, our pitchers are going to be on board, and we're going to be absolutely thinking that, hey, this is, this is right for us. Josh Bell, Mike Zanino, what, uh, what do you see in these two guys as they join you? Well, you know, off, offensively, certainly different skill sets, but but what's the same is the, the the reports you hear about them as teammates and as people. You know, they're both off the charts, and that's really important to us. We feel like we got a really good thing going. As young as we are, we didn't have to do a lot of babysitting, which we really appreciated. You know, Josh Bell. Everybody, I mean, everybody you talk to says this kid's off the charts as a teammate, which is, which is great. Um, I've, I've, I've known Mike Zanino a little bit just from being around him at the all-star game. And the thing that kind of stuck out with me was when you talk to him, you want to keep talking to him. I mean that extremely in a complimentary sense, you know, just was a really fun to talk baseball with him. So works. And we think when he's healthy, he controls the running game, which we really felt strongly about. And last one, as you watch the World Series, Dusty Baker wins as a manager for the first time. What was that like for you as someone who's known him a while? 
I couldn't wait to give him a hug when I saw him in San Diego at the winter meetings. As you saw, how many people seem to be rooting for Dusty? And you know what? Good for him. He's 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 been an icon in our sport. He he's so well revered and I mean loved and shoot, I go all the way back to, you know, he played with my dad in Atlanta and he made a point of coming over to me and telling me a long time ago that he goes, Terry, you know, being a black man in Atlanta in the sixties wasn't necessarily, you know, the best place to be. And he goes, your dad came over and he goes, he was really good to me. And I'll never forget that. And at the time it made me feel good. And to this day, it still makes me feel good. Tito, I can't wait to see you in spring training. Thanks for doing this. Buster, stay warm, and I'll see you in Goodyear, okay? This is the Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter, producer for MLB.com. Sarah, how are you doing this week? I'm doing great, Buster. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, getting, uh, getting fired up in part because... It's very interesting, you know, in recent years, in the wintertime, we've had these massive uh, uh, superstar players still unsigned as we get into January and February and March. Once Dansby Swanson goes off the board, that's it, Sarah. Like, all the major baseball business will be done. What is Scott Boris going to do? I know. It's so weird. I was thinking that last night when we got news of the uh, Carlos Gadon signing, like, what are we going to do with everybody signs before Christmas? What are we going to do in January and February until camps open? <laughs> uh, we can analyze. It's going to give us plenty of time to analyze yes. these teams and the moves they've made. Give me an under the radar move that you've loved. Well, I really like the Orioles adding Adam Frazier. I wish they had done a bit more. I was kind of hoping they might be a dark horse for Rodon to really build for the future there with everything they did this year. But I like Adam Frazier as a player. The contact, you know, he's not exactly going to hit the ball out of the park. But I like that contact. I feel like that could be good amongst some of the younger players there. So I thought he was a under-the-radar uh, player there who was out there and not really getting talked about. So I like seeing him go to a team that hopefully continues to be on the rise in uh, 2023. Yeah, top of the lineup for the Orioles, Cedric Mullins, uh, maybe Adam Frazier, Adley Rutschman, Gunnar Henderson. I mean, that that's pretty good, right? And coming out of the gate in terms of the potential with those guys, so that'll be fun. Uh, I'm gonna The curveball I'm going to throw at you today, okay, is I'm going to have you answer the bleacher tweets. Uh, okay. We got a ton of them since our last show. So uh, are you ready to go? I am. I am. All right, Taylor, jump in. Bleacher tweets. All righty, Buster and Sarah. Bleacher tweets for a glorious Friday. Let's go to Nicholas Rust. First at Nick Rust 17. Nick writes in with Correa lost to the Giants. Where do the twins go from here? All right. That's a really good question. <laughs> I didn't realize I got to start right here. I mean, unfortunately, it feels like the twins are not going to be able to repeat what they did the beginning of the year last year before the Guardians took over. I do wonder in that next year of free agents if they go after somebody, but I also wonder how much they were already prepared for this. My guess is they were decently prepared, 
So hopefully they have some idea lined up. It didn't seem like he was going to return there. So you have to imagine the front office was preparing for that as well. So I think, Sarah, when, you know, I mean, they didn't re-sign Correa, and you're right, they internally probably were prepared for that. They signed Christian Vasquez. I'd, I'd say this, if I'm sitting in their shoes, like a Max Kepler, um, you know, a couple other marketable players who are up in, uh, in service time, I might think about flipping some of those assets before we get to spring training. What do you think? For sure. I can absolutely see that. And yes, I'd forgotten about Vasquez. I think that actually went official like five minutes before we were chatting here. I got that email. But yeah, I mean, they certainly have some guys you could bring up there. I mean, this is a team that is going to depend on what Byron Buxton can do and how healthy he stays. That has been the name of the game for the last few years. And while you're waiting on that, certainly looking into a few trades can make sense. All right. Next up, we have Brad Barber at Brad Barber writing in with the Cubs missing out on Correa. Does Buster Swanson to Cubs to the Cubs prediction still stand given Hoyer's seemingly unwillingness to give any player six plus years? I got uh, Sarah. I got one A Swanson going to the Cubs and one B him going back to the Braves. I think that makes sense. You know. We'd been wondering whether the Dodgers would be a serious player for any of these shortstops. But given the way the market has played out, I mean, they haven't even been in the rumors for any of them. So I think you take them off the list. And I know you and I talked about the Cubs being a potential player for these shortstops. I want to say back in August, I remember you bringing that up. So I definitely think they may still be in the mix there, given all of them. But you have to imagine that, especially given how long this has gone on, that the Braves have something up their sleeves as well in terms of some sort of uh, some sort of offer to him. And I say how long it's gone on, even though we're talking at the top about how quickly this has gone. But in the climate of this offseason, it feels like he's the guy waiting at the table, kind of Brady, uh, Aaron Rodgers style in that draft. Sarah, do you have any idea where Carter Hawkins went to uh, school, went to college? Vanderbilt. Moving on. <laughs> See, I know. Yeah, that's exactly right. Carter Hawkins, general manager of the Chicago Cubs. He knows the Vanderbilt secret handshake. Nancy Swanson knows the Vanderbilt secret handshake. I know the secret handshake. Go ahead, Taylor. There uh, we go. Mitchell at Tigers of Detroit writes, and where does the Correa signing put San Francisco uh, at as far as their playoff chances? Have to think they are still number three in the division. Are they a fringe playoff team like Philly was last year? No. I think I got them as the fourth best team in the division. Sarah, what about you? I mean, the Diamondbacks had quite the end to the season last year. I think they're going to be really exciting this year. I don't know if I have them fourth or third, but I do agree that it didn't really change where I see them. Not for this year. I think we need to see whether some players who are down on the farm for them really continue to develop over the next few years and that Correa and that signing can really be an impact maybe a year or two down the line. It certainly makes them better, but I do think, I mean, the Dodgers part in the way, and of course the Padres got so much better this offseason, and those nine backs are really on the rise. 
Gregory Gosnell writes in at Carl's Jr. 9982 with Rodon. Now with the Yankees, would you consider them to have a top five rotation or does it depend on the overall substance of Cole's 2023 performance? Yeah, substance was in quotes yes, because uh, I think he's referring to the sticky substance. Uh, I, I said earlier in the podcast, Sarah, that I think the Yankees arguably might have the best rotation in baseball if Rodon stays healthy. I think that's absolutely possible. I mean, I don't think we give enough credit for how good Nestor Cortez was last yes. year. He fell, I think, four innings shy of qualifying. He threw like 158 innings, 244 ERA. I know he quote-unquote stumbled a little bit toward the end of the year. But again, that number, 2.44, really, really good. Then you add in the fact that, oh, yeah, they did trade for Frankie Montes, who is better than he showed during his time in pinstripes, you know, briefly at the end of the year last year. I think they have a ton of depth in that rotation. And one of the numbers I'll get to is about how they never had two guys like this, Sarah and Carlos Rodon, were such strikeout machines in the same year. So I do think that. You know, we talk a lot about top duos in pitching rotations. You look at Scherzer and Verlander. You look at Nolan Wheeler and whoever else you'd like to. I think what sets them apart is it's deeper than just a top duo. The starting block is up next. Uh, this person writes, and interested to know why the Goldilocks baseball story that showed balls in Yankees games were juiced wasn't discussed on the show, aside from Bleacher Tweeter that asked and got a non-answer about the Yankees not caring. Seems like a massive story. Yeah, starting block, I'll answer that one. Uh, first off, it, that story dropped right in the middle of all these signings, you know, Aaron Judge and others. So I, you know, that that's part of the reason why we, we couldn't, uh, dive into it too deeply. The other thing too is, is that I, I've been fascinated by the fact that the entity that in theory would be the most affected by this, the player association, we haven't heard from them, right? We haven't heard complaining from the people who would seem to be complaining the most about this out loud. Um, and, and so without having uh, had the opportunity yet to dig into the data between the the question of sample size and uh, you know the the impact the actual impact. I, I One of my questions is, where's the Players Association on this? And I don't know the answer to that. Next up, we've got Scotty Barnes at Scotty O'Barnes. He writes in, cheapest teams in the 2022 offseason hot stove. Braves will probably jump off this list soon. Do we think this is a problem? So he tweeted a picture of some of the, I guess, quote unquote, smaller market teams and their spending. Uh, Milwaukee spent about $6 million. Atlanta, $6 million. Kansas City, 4 Arizona, 4 Miami, 3 Cincinnati, 3 Seattle, 1 Is this an issue? Well, the one thing I'd say about that graphic, it doesn't include Charlie Morton, who they signed to a one-year contract. And also, so many of their players are locked into long-term deals. Uh, I think they've managed their payroll very well. They have an offer on the table as we speak with Dansby Swanson. So I don't. I think the uh, information's incomplete, Sarah. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I think overall, you talk about the Mariners, and they're in a similar boat, right? They have a ton of money locked up right now in Julio Rodriguez, and also that's a team that's always going to be very, very active on the trade market. So the offseason isn't just about signing free agents. 
But overall, I just come back to the fact that on the opposite end, the Padres have shown us that there are no small markets. And that's a really great thing to see. So hopefully some other teams sort of uh, jump in on that mentality. Couple more, Taylor. Cam, Cannon Cam, 666, writes in, with the age of the mega contract here, will small market teams lean in harder on player development? Is there a premium going to be added to young, cheap, controllable players in the trade market going forward? Yeah, so and I think that teams have, have absolutely, I've already leaned into that. What do you think? For sure. I mean, I think that's what we see with two of the teams we were just discussing with the Seattle Mariners and with the Atlanta Braves. I mean, in addition to these mega contracts and all of the years, especially being locked up, we also see teams that have given guys contracts after just a few days of service time in the majors. So I would guess that the teams that feel they can't compete in terms of those really big contracts, we'll certainly continue to do that. You know, I wonder if a team like the Cleveland Guardians may start moving towards something like that with a guy like Stephen Kwan if he has another great year. Last one for today. Mikkel Roman writes in, why are we seeing big deals done so early in this offseason? The last year, uh, the dice started to roll in January, February. Is it all because of labor peace? I don't know the last part. But I'm thrilled to see it. I mean, I think it benefits everyone to have these things known and out there. I think there's definitely a change in the way the leverage has gone. When we saw Bryce Harper and Manny Machado sign, they signed in the final few days of February and then into March, I believe. And those were the first like $300 million agent contracts. So it's definitely tipped the scales a little bit differently. I don't know what owners and what front offices are thinking, but I know for myself, it's very exciting to see things happen again. We were talking at the top. It's December 16th and all but one of the really big free agents are signed. I, I do think it's a labor piece. Uh, just follow the work of Scott Boris, who always uh, you know, has his internal evaluation on what players are worth, and he will wait and wait and wait or move quickly depending on whether or not he feels like a team strikes. And in this case, uh, unlike previous winners, he's jumped because the money's available now. So that tells you that it's out there. Sarah, before you go, uh, in the last couple weeks, uh, what I've seen is a baseball T-shirt come out with your uh, signature phrase on it. Baseball is the best. And two long articles about you, uh, one in the New York Post and the other in the Athletic. Uh, like you get you are getting a lot of press, which is something that you reflexively don't really like. How are you handling all that? Yeah, I wish everyone could see me on the Zoom right now with my face all red and me shrinking back from the camera on my laptop. But, uh, you know, I am not a fan of that. We've talked about that. I what I didn't tell you about the old women's broadcast. You found out after the fact, right? That is my sort of go-to with these kinds of things. But I also really, really want to raise awareness for ALS. I don't think people know enough about the disease, what it does, how common it really is, and the fact it isn't a rare disease. So when I've been approached with certain things, I've started saying yes, because I really do want to bring that awareness and get people to donate to research when they can. I will say with the t-shirt, 
I didn't know about it until it was tweeted out. It was an idea about Rob Friedman, known as Pitching Ninja, and he approached Rotoware with it and then went to Mandy Bell as sort of the, is she going to be okay with this and where should we donate the money to? And I learned about it when it was tweeted out and I was tagged in it because I really would have said, absolutely not. Why does anyone need a shirt with something I say on it? But I was proved wrong, so... I'm glad people have enjoyed seeing all of that. And I will say that I've received some very kind notes from people I've worked with who have said things like, thank you for opening up in this way. It was great to learn about your family and things like that, which have made me see the value in such things and the fact that people appreciate it. Again, I'm still... Very uh, not keen on talking about myself or any of this, but I do want us to talk about ALS and help to find a cure for this. So whatever I can do to do that, I am saying yes to as of now. Well, one more question about you in particular. Uh, as you know, at the winter meetings, it's not only baseball officials. Some players will go there. You got a ton of media there. There are also a lot of baseball fans and I saw pictures of you there. I'm assuming that you probably had pictures, people coming up to uh, to talk to you in a way that they hadn't before. Yeah, I would say that. Uh, Among pretty, baseball fans, I want to hear your superstar experience in having fans come up to you. Forget people like Tori Lovello, you know, the picture in The Athletic. Tell me about fans coming up to you. I would say that I am uh, very recognizable at this point because since I shared the news that I have ALS, people can put two and two together. And when there is a girl in a wheelchair in these settings, it's very obvious who it is if you know a bit about this baseball world. So in a way where I used to have a certain level of anonymity, I would say that is entirely out the window at this point. I did have a fan come up to me after I did an MLB network hit, and he was trying to take a selfie with me, and I was trying to talk to John Morosi, and thankful to John, who basically stayed there until the guy went away, because I was like, I'm not interested in this, I'm sorry, no thank you. Uh, but that was really the only brush with that. But I didn't hang out in the lobby, I'm sure there were more fans kind of hovering there. But I saw people see me and have a moment of recognition. That was the, hey, Mandy, let's go faster. Let's go that way and get away. <laughs> so, I, Sarah, you need this advice, and maybe Mandy can help you with it. Uh, I know from working on Sunday Night Baseball and being around, you know, Terry Francona or Oral Hershey's or, or David Cohn or Kurt Schilling or John Cruck, uh, et cetera, when you are a star and you get recognized the way you're being recognized, you need a wingman. Like you need someone to help usher you through and make sure that Mandy doesn't like walk away. Okay. <laughs> I will make sure, but also I am not a star and I am not on the list with any of those people. But yeah. She, she has to be there to, uh, you know, do any blocking kind of like a linebacker that yeah, we Aaron mentioned. Boone, Jessica Mendoza. Those were, <laughs> I've been a great wingman through the years so, uh, in, in trying to move them along. All right, Sarah, thanks for doing this. Thanks so much for having me. That's it for today. My thanks to Terry Francona, to Doug, to Sarah, to Hembo, to Sarah and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. 
Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Requires Gemini device and additional paid subscriptions to watch Netflix and other third-party apps. Terms and restrictions apply.